And we're back again for another episode of 32 and 32. This week, back behind enemy lines, man. This, this, you got to tap lightly when you tread these lines, though, man. <laughs> so, in order to talk some cowboys, it's my pleasure to have on my guy from Locked On Cowboys, Landon McCool. How you feeling today, Landon? I'm doing good, man. I'm excited to talk uh, Cowboys football, even if it's with the Philly fan, because I know all of us, whether we're Philly fans or, or Cowboys fans or whatever, we're all excited about football coming its way uh, down this later this summer. So thrilled to be here. Definitely, man. So I got to start with the question I asked everyone. Uh, but I guess it's, it's an awkward question in the Cowboys, since typically yeah. the question is more of a what went wrong, or if your team was very successful, what went right. But Despite a 12 and 5 record, I mean, a second round exit is nothing that any fan base would want to see. But it was so much going on from the whole Cooper Rush thing to that coming back and the offense being rated very highly upon his return. But then the turnover was it. So take us through the, the story of last season. Yeah. I mean, I think it started, you know, um, a little auspiciously, honestly, I think, you know, the, the Cowboys had made a concerted effort to kind of change around a little bit of how their offense was going to be run. Um, you know, they obviously they got rid of of uh, Amari Cooper. And the, I think the idea was to kind of create more of a runway for someone like CeeDee Lamb to kind of take off and spread his wings and become uh, a wide receiver one. And I think on that front, the Cowboys had some success, but where they they failed to kind of, uh, help themselves a little bit is is they didn't quite fill in the the you know, wide receiver two and three positions the way that they needed to early in the season. They were hoping for someone like Gallup to kind of come back and take that spot midseason. They were hoping that someone like a signing like T.Y. Hilton could kind of further stabilize that position, you know, middle into the season. Uh, but I think by the end of the year, once Dak was back and once you know things had kind of evened out. I think the Cowboys, as they started to play tougher and tougher opponents and, and you know, they get into the playoffs, they've played diff more difficult defenses. Uh, they figured out that, that, you know, they were running out of star power, especially in the wide receiver position on the outside. And then obviously when they played San Francisco, once Pollard got down, went down, uh, they had lost a lot of their juice. So basically it was relied only on Dak to kind of produce, you know, uh, uh, offensively and, and try to move the ball. And that and that you know required him having to make dangerous throws into tight spaces, and and obviously the results of that ended up with being a lot of interceptions. So uh, I, I think you know for the most part offensively, the Cowboys had a pretty decent season. You know considering that they had so much injury along the offensive line early, and that just didn't have enough you know horses at, at the wide receiver position. Uh, but old, but you know at the end of the day. They didn't get where they needed to go. A lot of that blame is being placed on Dak, you know, because of the interceptions. But I, I think the Cowboys offseason this last year kind of shows you where their headspace is at and, and how they think they're trying to solve the problem by bringing in Brandon Cooks, you know, trying something new at, at tight end, trying something new at, at, at running back. So with the interceptions and Dak Prescott, I mean, of course – when you're the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, there's always a microscope on you. Yeah. <laughs> Things 
be a little bit more harsh at times. But the 15 interceptions on the season, how many of those would you contribute to being Dak Prescott's fault? How many of those would you contribute to be more of a schematic issue with wanting to push the ball vertically down the field but not having the horses to do so? I think, you know, there's probably – I mean, honestly, we're like at least five to seven interceptions where – Dak made the throw, hit the wide receiver in the hands, and then there was a you know bad case of volleyball playing happening with between the receiver and the defensive back. So you know five to seven of those, and then you know the rest are situations. Well, I mean, look, not not all the rest. There was definitely some. I remember the uh, what was it the sweat interception that Dak threw uh, mm-hmm. uh, when, yeah, like I think that was a case where. You know, he didn't see Sweat when he was trying to look over and past him, and he could, didn't. He didn't. I just didn't get enough over the ball, and Sweat made an incredible play. But outside of like a couple of those, I think the vast majority of the rest of the interceptions, uh, outside of you know volleyball into the defensive back, outside of missing Sweat on a couple, like maybe one or two of those this year, I, I think the rest of them were situations where, you know, you Dak saw a receiver. It was uh, uh you know late in the downs and. He didn't have an option outside of you know either taking the sack and ending the drive or trying to take a chance. And and I think that Cowboys fans are going to be really upset if like the way that they try to solve Dak's interception issue is to try to kind of rein him in a little bit. Because I think what makes Dak special is how aggressively he attacks down the field. And I think that that's the part that that needs to kind of continue. I, you know, look, Dak previous to this year had very low interception rates. I mean, like, you know, lowest near near the bottom of the league. So I tend to view this as, you know, more of a fluky situation than a, you know, Dak suddenly developed interceptionitis or something like that. Oh, I can definitely understand, man. I, when I have conversations like DC, it's hard to have com- like typical sports conversations without either myself or some people trying to identify that hey, you're an Eagles fan. And there have been plenty of times throughout the offseason where I've spoke very highly of Dak Prescott. And I do feel like we've reached a point where, okay, he deserves some of the backlash he got, but now it's borderline and insane, where it's, okay, let's calm down a bit. Like, Dak Prescott is still a very good quarterback yeah. here. Well, it's like you said, you know, I mean, in, 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 in the Eagles, it's a, it's becoming a similar situation there, too. It's like, the Cowboys, you know, there's a it's a bright spotlight, you know, so every single thing is going to be uh, heightened to a larger degree. And, you know, because the Cowboys fan base is so enormous, it includes a bunch of, you know, very kind of casual fans. So I, I think it's easy for them to see, oh, Dak led the league in interceptions last year. Dak has an interception problem without kind of, you know, taking the time to dive a little deeper and kind of, you know, provide a little context as to what was happening there. So you know, it's is it surprising that that he's receiving this kind of 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 backlash? No, it's not. As someone who's covered the Cowboys for as long as I have, this is not shocking at all. I mean, going back to Tony Romo and Troy Aikman, and I mean, you know, I even remember all the way back to Danny White. The you know, Cowboys uh, quarterbacks have always been you know kind of maligned for you know imperfection at at different points. So uh, it was it was inevitable that he was going to get this kind of backlash. But but I think you know from Dak's point of view. You know, he was playing to try to win, and I think ultimately I would not want 
them to kind of try to rein him in or pull him back from the edge on this. I would prefer him to continue to be aggressive, just that the Cowboys offense provide better opportunity for him to be aggressive safely uh, moving forward. So first I'd like to say what went into the exit of Kellen Moore. I mean, there there was the reports that they said they mutually agreed to part ways at the same time. He kind of had a contract ready for him as soon as yeah, it was with the chargers. Yeah. So uh, what went into that? Yeah, I think, I think, you know, I all, I honestly believe that it was a mutual parting of ways in the sense that I don't think Mike McCarthy wanted him here anymore. And I think that Kellen Moore didn't want to be here anymore. So I believe that part. Do I think that Kellen Moore knew exactly where he was going when he left? Probably that, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, I think that, you know, look, it's, it's tough to read tea leaves this early, right? Because you're getting interviews and, and, uh, with players and coaches and that sort of thing. And everybody's trying to say the right thing. Nobody wants to, you know, make enemies or, you know, professional uh, br- bridge burning or anything like that with any of their former employees. Cause you just never know. Like some of these guys end up back on your team and, you know, just, it's just, that's just the way of the NFL. Um, but it does seem like, uh, it does seem like Kellen had kind of fallen out of favor with some of the players, offensive players uh, at the end as far, not so much him personally, but, but the system and what was being called and, and the way things were being called uh, wasn't not necessarily matching up. Look, I, I was the first person when Kellen Moore left that was concerned about how Dak specifically would feel about that because the, 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 the conversations have always been, well, Dak and, 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 and Kellen were backup quarterbacks together. They were in the quarterback room with Tony Romo. And so when that, you know, when that all went down, you know, the assumption is that Kellen and, and Dak have grown up together as far as offensive you know, minds go. Um, and that they, that would be a, a lot of backlash from Dak Prescott. And I think that he did come out and defend Kellen Moore pretty strongly, but it does seem to be that the team's, you know, kind of whispering and hinting that, Hey, it was time for a change. It was time to kind of mix things up a little bit. Uh, I, I think that they felt like they were becoming um, too predictable at times, even though that's not kind of Kellen Moore's calling card. It, it just felt like there were too many times when Dak failed to get into a rhythm when it, when it felt like any time the Cowboys were playing a little bit fast or with some tempo, Dak suddenly was like, you know, playing like the best quarterback in the league. So I, I think that there is some it's a mixed bag to say the least. And I think we should also throw in the 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 change at offensive line coach because I think that's also a huge change that's happening this year uh because it's gonna change the run game and, and how that gets called. So there's a lot of moving parts on the offensive side, especially with the coaching staff. Um and I think it's you know, it seems to me that that they've been positive or at least, you know, <laughs> it's best it's best shape of your life season. So God only knows what's really happening, but it does seem that the, the, the players seem to be more um, for the change than I, I think a lot of us uh, anticipated. So kind of to piece back to what you said, you, you'd be afraid if they had to try to rein Dak in some. Here we are, and we're in the post-Ezekiel Elliott era. There are concerns with Tony Pollard, who's coming off a significant injury. And Mike McCarthy has that recent quote where, for lack of a better term, he's just saying he just wants to take care of the ball. He wants to basically take the ball out of the air. Yeah. 
I listen, I'm a believer in following people's feet and not their, their mouths. You know what I'm saying? And that's not where Mike McCarthy's feet are going. You know, like everything that has happened in the offseason doesn't seem to imply a shift into running the football more. You know, like every everything that they've talked about along the offensive line, everything they've talked about uh, with the running back position, um, you know, they, they have kind of slow played the running back position while leaning heavily into the wide receiver investment. And, and I think that uh, uh, that to me indicates that this is a, a situation where, you know, I think McCarthy's giving some lip service. I, I think you could also just go back to Mike McCarthy's history here and look and see that he's he's one of the more pass happy play callers mm-hmm. when he, back, even back you know when he was calling plays seven eight years ago or whatever. So I tend to think that they will be more efficient running the football. Um, I think that that they're looking to change some things about the way they call the run game and uh, about how they you know kind of block things up specifically with zone blocking scheme stuff. Uh, but I, I think, you know, you said it, look, Tony Pollard is, I mean, I, Tony Pollard is already practicing. So he's, he looks to be well on track to be fine for the regular season. But having said that he is, you're, you're 100% right. He is coming off an injury. The Cowboys didn't make any huge effort to go find another running back out there. They, they drafted a, a fifth round guy, Deuce Vaughn that they're excited about. They like some of these down roster running backs they have in Malik Davis and, and Rico Dowdle. But they didn't, you know, they signed Ronald Jones, who isn't exactly going to break the bank or, you know, exciting one. I mean, I don't even know if Ronald Jones definitely makes the team. So I tend to think that, yes, they will be more efficient running the football. They will try to be better at running the football. But I don't I, I have a hard time believing and I really just don't believe that they're planning on running the football more. All everything that it seems that they're seeming to indicate everything that's in Mike McCarthy's history everything I've seen so far in this offseason seems to point towards, frankly, the opposite. So we talked about how the offense basically had an affinity for wanting to attack vertically under Kellen Moore. And now with Mike McCarthy calling plays and the hire of Brian Schattenheimer as the offensive coordinator, what exactly do you expect this Dallas Cowboys offense to look like what are some similarities or differences you expect to see well I think the changes are going to be in the philosophy of the play caller not so much the actual plays called you know I I think that they're basically taking the same playbook that they've had for several years that was developed through Dak Prescott and and Kellen Moore and and before that Scott Linehan and then they're just applying kind of west coast play calling principles to it, right? Like maybe an increase in kind of short passes to the running back and, uh, you know, maybe some more slant flats, uh, just, just stuff to kind of get guys open on the run so that you can get them the football and, and, and pre- present, you know, yak opportunities. You know, they last year in the last you know decade, they've been based in a kind of a Coriel system, which very much is based on vertical passing, attacking down the field, um, and and trying to get you know isolate receivers and and, and get one on one situations. So I think that will still be part of their DNA because that's part of the playbook's DNA. I just think that the changes will be in the you know the play sequencing or you know I think the thing I'm looking forward to the most change for is what do the Cowboys opening script look like? What are the first 15 to 20 plays in a game? look like for for Mike McCarthy's offense versus Kellen Moore's offense because I feel like that's really where this team has struggled and then 
then I think, you know, like I mentioned before, Dak Prescott, when he's playing up tempo and playing with tempo and getting guys to the line and getting things going fast, I think he's plays like when he plays like that, he plays as one of the best quarterbacks in the league. So I would, I would not at all be surprised to see them try to do more of that more up tempo just to kind of get him in rhythm early. Uh, so they're not having to kind of wait into the second quarter before him to kind of explode and start, you know, throwing down the field and, and making completions. So one of the things that intrigued me about Dallas this off season and the moves that they made was the decision to bring back Tyron Smith. Especially yeah. with the selection of Tyler Smith last year in the first round. So, how do you think that this move will help or hurt the inevitable move to left tackle for Tyler? And what do you expect? Just what do, what do you expect from Tyron this year, especially under a new offensive line coach and everything that we discussed earlier? Yeah, it's it's an interesting conversation. It's certainly something that's being a, a very heavy topic of conversation in Cowboys land and and. I, I think, you know, at this point, everyone knows that you, you probably can't rely on Tyron to play, you know, 16 games, 17 games in a season. It just hasn't happened in so long, right? Last year, his injury was a little bit flukier than some of the other stuff. The, 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 it was, it was a, you know, an on the field injury where he, you know, pulled the tear, tore the hamstring basically off the bone. Uh, and, and that, you know, wasn't related to, some of the other stuff that he had uh, had had early in his career, he had had back injuries and stuff. And, and and actually, it turns out like he had been putting off surgery for his back uh, up until you know for about seven years. Up until last off season, he finally got the surgery and and had kind of a resurgence. Like in training camp, he looked great last year. He he really uh, looked a lot more spry than he had in years, and 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 just really looked turned around. And then the Cowboys get home from Oxnard. They're getting ready for the regular season. We're about a week away from week one. And Tyron steps weird and, and, like I said, pulls the hamstring straight off the bone. So what happens? You've got Tyler Smith, who was drafted originally to eventually make the sw- switch out to tackle, but started out as guard in the training camp. One week before we're about to play our, our first regular season game, this rookie is going to be asked to step outside to play left tackle even though he hadn't practiced it at all during training camp. And honestly, I think he did an, an incredible job, just an absolute incredible job. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't, you know, uh, pro bowl season or anything, but for a, a, a rookie uh, left tackle stepping in from the university of Tulsa to come in and play in the NFL suddenly on short notice, I thought he did a fantastic job. So fast forward to now they re-signed Tyron Smith. And I think the idea is that, you know, hey, let's just run it back what we had last year, right? We're going to try to try Tyron outside at left tackle. We'll have Tyler Smith in at left guard. And if anything happens to Tyron, we just slide him back out to left tackle. Now, the question becomes, every year the Cowboys kind of fandom goes through this, like, hey, who's the swing tackle? Who's going to be the backup when Tyron comes in? Now the conversation has switched from who's going to be Tyron's backup to well, who's going to be Tyler's backup when he kicks outside to, to, to tackle? Uh, and I think that's where the, you know, the, the interesting part of, of training camp is going to kick in. They've got a guy named Chuma Adoga that they, they uh, got from the Jets. They drafted a guy from, the, from uh, North Carolina named Awesome Williams. Uh, they, they also had some undrafted free agents that they like. They have a couple of guys they draft a couple of years. There's going to be a, a battle uh, for that kind of swing backup interior guy, which is going to be very, very important for this team simply because – like I said, Tyron Smith is a, I think, still a very good player. I still think he's a top fifteen left tackle when he's healthy. 
but uh, the win is the real big rub there. And we know that it, he's not going to make it through the entire season. So the Cowboys have to have a starter level contingency plan for when Tyron Smith eventually has to step off the field for a little while. So taking a step back some and looking at what's going on in the front office sort of things. I mean, as always, as you would expect, you've heard the Cowboys linked to more than their fair share of big names out on the market, the Dalvin mm-hmm. Cooks, the DeAndre Hopkins, things of that nature. Yet it seems like the Cowboys insisted on taking a stand in the uh, deliver type of approach, especially when it comes to how they've drafted over recent seasons. Yeah. How do you think, well, what are the changes that you can see in the front office's approach over recent history, though, which you've seen throughout the past? So this is, this is a big question, right? Because, you know, ultimately, uh, I, you know, there's this phenomenon. This is what we should discuss first. There is a phenomenon where anybody who becomes a free agent or anybody who's looking to get out of their current situation, they're going to have their agent mention the Dallas Cowboys as a potentially interested party because that's gets clicks that gets the word out. That's, you know, I mean, say what you want about the Dallas Cowboys fandom and, and trust me, I love and hate it at the same time, all the time. It's enormous. And, and, and it, it has widespread. So, whenever a player is looking to kind of change their situation, get more money, leverage a potential trade demand or, or, you know, create interest on a free agent market, they're going to mention the Dallas Cowboys just to simply get clicks out there. Now the Cowboys have been much to the fans chagrin, you know, mostly sitting on their hands during free agency, because like you mentioned, they are very much a draft and develop team. They've had success there. They're one of the better drafting teams in the NFL, uh, they've also had a lot of success in their undrafted free agent market. Uh, they've been able to pull in guys off the street that didn't get drafted and have them play significant roles and sometimes starters uh, uh, you know, from that market as well. So that's just the Cowboys' philosophy on that. Now, I think some people have been excited about the fact that it feels like things may have slightly changed with these trades for Stephon Gilmore and Brandon Cooks. And I don't know that necessarily – that's changed so much. I, I feel like those are kind of the kind of moves that the Cowboys, you know, would be willing to make in the past. I think the opportunity changed this year, and and they got opportunities to get two guys that they liked for numbers that they liked for for uh, compensation that they liked, and that's why they made those trades. If you want to talk about changes that are happening in the Cowboys front office, I think a sneaky uh, thing that is just really recently starting to develop is. The Cowboys are not only um, changing up their uh, analytics department, I would say that they are double and tripling down on it. If they've just went out and hired uh, one of Baltimore's top analysts from them, and they just hired, went out and hired uh, Sam Park from the Indianapolis Colts, who was uh, one of their top guys and one of the really kind of innovators in analytics on game day uh, decisions and a couple of different other areas for analytics for the team. So I think that the Cowboys are starting to invest more heavily in that. And and I think that that will lead to changes in some of their personnel decisions and and the way they handle things. Uh, But I think overall, like the, the kind of, changes that the, the Cowboys fandom and other folks are, 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 are anticipating or think that is happening because of these trades, you know, the Cowboys would, would be willing to make a trade for Brandon cooks for a fifth round pick. I think in other years too, <laughs> I don't know that that's necessarily something to change. I think what changed is that Houston was willing to give up Brandon cooks for a fifth round pick uh, now, as opposed to mid season last year. So 
opportunity will make makes for some changes but as far as where the front office is going uh it does appear that they're kind of leaning more into the draft and develop techniques and uh, also kind of changing if not improving uh their analytics department which you know may kind of just further lean into the idea of being very selective of which free agents you're going after so as you mentioned the selection well not selection the acquisitions of brandon cooks on the offensive side of the ball playing alongside cd lamb who they expect to continue to thrive and then the trade for stefan gilmore coming over from indianapolis playing alongside trayvon diggs what i noticed about those two moves alongside everything that we've talked about so far today it seems as if dallas the front office and head and coaching staff alike have this perception. And I don't want to call it a perception because based on the way the league is treading, this seems to be correct, but score more points, stop the ball in the air, throw the ball across the yard. Again, despite what Mike McCarthy said about wanting to take the ball out of the air. They, you look at some of these teams, you gotta, I mean, look no further than across the yard at Philadelphia. You look yep. at some of the teams over in the AFC and how high-powered those offenses are passing the football. How close does the front office in Dallas, A, think they are to the rest of the league, and how close do you think they are to those, not just the top echelon in the NFC, but those superiors over in the AFC? Well, I think the Cowboys are right there with anybody in the NFC. Uh, I think Philly and San Francisco and Dallas are the kind of three top teams in the NFC. And 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 I think that, it, you know, we'll see how all that plays out a little bit. But as far as like, you know, just on a roster basis, it'd be hard to argue that those aren't the three best teams in the NFC. And and honestly, I think that they match up rather well with the their AFC counterparts. I think the difference uh, a lot of these AFC teams is that um, – some of them have, you know, <laughs> Patrick Mahomes as their quarterback. <laughs> so uh, that kind of seems to be a force mo- multiplier. So, um, you know, look, I, I think if uh, I think if you didn't get, make the Brandon Cooks trade, you didn't make the Stefan Gilmore trade, I think you still come in with the Cowboys as being, you know, top five rosters in the in the NFC at least, right? Um, but I think with those two trades. Uh, they're right there. I mean, you know, I, I think if anything, you know, the Cowboys have an incredible amount of depth on the defensive side, like at almost every position. Um, and then on offense, I, I look, if we're looking at where we are in the state of the roster, I think, you know, defense is going to be lights out. Like you just, it may be the you know, top unit in the league next year. Who knows? Like it, it really depends on how things fall, but they will definitely be top three, top two defenses in football. I think the offense it's it's there's a lot of unknown, right? There's there's so much change in the coaching staff. There's some personnel changes. So I think for the offense, it's going to be about how quickly can they get up to speed with what they're doing, uh, uh, and and that will kind of affect how effective they are as a roster. But I think as far as just pure talent and like you know collection of talent, uh, I, I feel as confident about this team as I felt. Uh, probably, you know, since uh, last year or the year before, which, you know, I think they're both 12 win seasons. Maybe they didn't finish where they wanted in the playoffs, but uh, I think that they're, you know, they're, they're making progress to where they need to be. And, and I, I expect them to take another step this year. So in terms of 
these, at least the names listed, how do you think the front office views? Do you think there's a specific order in terms of the deals they have to get done? I mean, clearly there's a lot of pressure on Dak Prescott coming into this year. It seems like it was just yesterday he signed his contract, and now we're back here again at the table. But, of course, Tony Parler, who wasn't able to get a long-term deal done this offseason, you got Trayvon Diggs, who presumably be coming up, not to mention C.D. Lamb. So how do you think – do you think there's a specific route the offense – I mean, not the offense, the, the front office goes about going about it this time? I noticed the last time we were in this position, it seemed as if they had a – I wouldn't want to call it a preference, especially seeing how Dak played hardball, but a want to get Ezekiel Elliott's contract done. That became – quote unquote maybe a damning thing, especially seeing how that Mari Cooper thing played out. But yeah, I mean the, the Zeke situation was a case where Zeke uh played his leverage absolutely perfectly. Right. Like he 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 got the Cowboys all the way up to uh training camp and then basically told him he's not showing up. There was a lot of obviously anticipation with how the team was going to be that year and he leveraged that into you know, holding them over a barrel and getting a, a deal that was not great for the Cowboys. Look, you know, Zeke Elliott is a, a, a topic for a lot of Cowboys fans. I tend to think that he was a generally positive force on the team that was definitely overpaid. I mean, there's just no way around that. Just, just, be, and that's more based on the economics of 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 the running back position than anything that Zeke did, right? Um, I think if we're looking at how they're going to prioritize things, I would say that first and foremost, CD lamb is going to get signed. And I don't think there's going to be too much problem there. I, I think that's the one contract that uh, immediately in my mind, it's like Dallas won't screw around. They'll sign CD lamb to a long-term deal. I don't think there will be a holdout. I don't think there'll be any problems. I think they'll give him kind of what he wants and, and that's, that's it. I think Trayvon Diggs is going to be a little bit more difficult uh, simply because I think, his talent is uh it's not like as uh he, you know he's it's there's there's been some boom and bust in his game you know especially a couple of years ago and so i he's absolutely worth the money he's probably going to get paid but i do think that th because of of uh the kind of boom and bust nature that he had not so much last year cuz i feel like he really raised the floor in his play last year uh, but but the year before when he had all the interceptions, I think that will be a kind of a topic of conversation or at least a leverage point for the front office to be like, eh, maybe you don't deserve 20 million, blah, 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 before they give him the 20 million dollars. And then I think obviously someone like Parsons, whenever he comes up, he's getting signed. I mean, I, I don't I don't think the Cowboys are messing around with Parsons either. I think uh, that that'll likely, you know, as soon as he's eligible and as soon as he's ready, they'll make him the highest paid defensive player in football. Um, and for Dak, you know, look, I, I, I think, I think last time they, they dealt with Dak, I, I don't think they had a good idea of exactly who they were dealing with, uh, as far as Dak's agent, you know, I, I think they kind of went into the conversation, uh, with, you know, with a, a level of, of good faith that wasn't shared by the, by Dak's agent. And I think that they understand the situation of what the Dak's team is looking for now better than they understood it at the time. Uh, you know, I think the Cowboys got really hung up on trying to, I mean, you mentioned it, right? We're already back here signing the deal. That wasn't, that's not an accident. You know, that was very much what Dak's team wanted. They wanted the opportunity to kind of get another bite at the apple. So 
and that's where that's where the holdup was for for the Cowboys side. They they typically like to sign these kind of five year deals that have an option to get out after three. And so when Dak's side wasn't exactly up for that, uh, it, it kind of delayed things and made things a little more you know and the full with a little more animosity than probably needed to be. I don't anticipate that being an issue this time around. I feel like if Dak has a season that we're all anticipating him having this next year, they're going to re-sign him. And, you know, again, my general feeling with quarterbacks and how they get paid, and I feel the same way about Jalen Hurts and anybody, is that if they're good enough, it doesn't matter what you pay them. Your quarterbacks in the league, the good ones, the decent ones, a quarterback worth having can't be overpaid. It's they, they are too, too important to their rosters uh, and and they don't ever get paid the percentage of the of uh, effect that they probably end up having on the actual results of winning wins and losses. I can definitely agree with that. So before I let you out of here, I got an obligation. I need a season prediction out of you. Oh man. Well, you know, I I I've kind of vacillated a lot between the different uh, some different records, and and I I think you know, for me, it's a tougher schedule. You and I just you know talked about this that the NFC East is going through a much more difficult schedule than they had last year. You know, you were just you were just telling me about the Eagles' rough stretch in the middle of their schedule. The Cowboys have a very similar situation in their schedule as well, a kind of murderer's row that they have to go through, uh, you know, consecutive difficult games. Uh, you know, they, they just got off back-to-back 12-win seasons. I think this is a more improved team than it was last year. Talent-wise, I think, like we said, we, it's going to be interesting to see how quickly the offense can get itself sorted out in the in the early part of the season. But if they do, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised that they ended up somewhere around 11 and 12 wins. I think if, if, if they could get 10 wins, that's probably good enough to get a wild-card berth. I don't know if 10 wins is necessarily going to win the division, especially with Philly in there. Um, but I think if if they can get to eleven or twelve and you know steal a game or two against Philly, uh, I you know look you know as well as I know that no team has repeated as NFC East champions in like what a decade plus. And as much as we all, as much as we all hate to hear that stat every single time that we are the NFC East champion, <laughs> it's true. So uh, I, I do think that uh, I do think that there's every opportunity for the Cowboys and Eagles to be neck and neck in this race. And I think that there's an opportunity that some team like the Giants, you know, could play spoiler you know, or get, you know, take a jump in a way that we're not anticipating um, and, and, and really kind of screw things up even further. So I, I anticipate both the Cowboys and the Eagles ending up somewhere around 11 and 12 points. As expected, as expected. Well, I appreciate your time today, Landon, man. It was a pleasure having you on. I'm sure the friends will appreciate your insight after they get their booze in. Yeah, yeah. Just boo, just 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 quit the boo in long enough to maybe hear what I have to say. And if you don't like that, then you can boo some more, guys. It's totally fine. <laughs> again, man, I appreciate your time. We got to do this again in the future. Absolutely. Of course, we got two meetings in the future, so I'm sure we can get something set up. I'm sure we can. Absolutely. But until next time, man, and in the next episode of 32 and 32.